Schools are a very appetizing opportunity. The opening of schools may only cost us 2 to 3% in terms of total mortality. <laughs> so just 2 to 3 million dead, Dr. Oz? That's all. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. No, day. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. They're everywhere. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. Oh, I hope you folks in Minnesota have been liberated by now. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, so I am told, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today for another thrilling edition of The Bradcast, your stay-at-home radio companion. Uh, glad you're with us. Uh, this story was brought to me uh, to my attention by Egberto Williams a couple of weeks ago at Daily Coast. Egberto has a show on our great uh, Houston, uh, Pacifica Radio Houston affiliate. KPFT. KPFT, awesome. correct. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a Facebook post from a Texas woman named Karen Kolb Selkie. Uh, it was written in March. She wrote, I try not to live under a rock. However, I also try my best to pay attention to my surroundings. Our government is under attack from within. If you don't believe so, then you probably also believe that this is the first time the coronavirus has been identified. Think about what's transpired over the last few months, she wrote. The government has presented every possible demographic, including a self-proclaimed socialist, as a Democratic candidate because they fear something they can't control. The impeachment hoax failed, and immediately Pelosi vowed to exhaust efforts in overthrowing Trump. (laughs) If you think for one second that this, quote, pandemic is not media driven and controlled by the radical people in powerful places, well, go back to sleep under the rock you crawled out from. Wake up. 
This is what the beginning of socialism looks like. They are controlling what you buy because it's what you think you need, where you go because it's where they tell you not to go, and how to live because you now fear the very existence of anything outside of your home and control. They are leading with fear, causing you to panic like sheep. They are crashing the stock market to run on a failing economy because it's all they have left. What is this uh, saying? What, what is this saying to all of those countries that have opposed us for decades but couldn't defeat us? It's saying biological warfare will make these idiots glued to CNN and every other liberal news source panic and run for the hills. You don't need hand sanitizer, toilet paper and Lysol. You need common sense, a sense of direction, faith, a will to fight and, of course, guns. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, wash your hands and live the life they don't want you to have. Hashtag America, hashtag Trump 2020. That was from Karen Selke on uh, Facebook uh, in March. Karen Selke of te uh, Texas posted that rant on uh, March 14. She died on April 2nd from COVID-19. She was survived by her husband and two teenage boys. Texas has seen nearly 15,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus. Presumably Karen Selke was one of them. Uh, presumably she was not infected with uh, coronavirus, or at least she didn't know she was when she posted that particular rant. Uh, the state has more than 300 deaths to date, according to the very conservative numbers published by Johns Hopkins University. The number of deaths in the state is not expected to peak for about another two weeks when the similarly conservative data from the University of Washington uh, believes that there will be 71 deaths per day across the Lone Star State with nearly 3,000 killed in Texas before the end of summer. Wow. And those are with the, uh, again, conservative numbers that have had to been uh, had to uh, been increased over time at the University of Washington and don't include uh, a whole bunch of deaths that right. we're now learning were actually uh, due to covid uh, because they were people who died at home, died in a nursing home, did not uh, get uh, diagnosed with uh, the coronavirus before they died. No access to tests. Uh, so that's Texas. But today, Texas Governor Greg Abbott in your great home state of Texas, Desi Doyen. Yep. Uh, Greg Abbott, of course, and Texas are opposing allowing absentee ballots for Texas voters this year who fear uh, becoming infected with the coronavirus at polling places. Um Maybe because it's a hoax to allow for a socialist takeover of America. Wake up, sheeple. But uh, Greg Abbott announced on Friday that Texas is opening up for business again. According to The Washington Post today, Texas Governor Greg Abbott announced on Friday that the state is beginning the process of reopening in consultation with a strike force composed of business leaders and medical professionals. Some restrictions are being lifted almost immediately. More will be announced April 27. That's, uh, what, a week or so from now, and even more in May if certain criteria like hospital capacity and testing are met, according to Abbott at a news conference on Friday. State parks will reopen on Monday. Go have fun, Texas. But, but visitors will be required to wear face coverings, 
Beginning next Friday, Abbott is encouraging retail stores to reopen and operate as Retail to Go, in which customers would order ahead of time, pick up their items curbside. Restrictions on non-coronavirus-related surgeries and procedures will also be loosened, he said. Schools, however, will remain closed through the end of the academic year. But maybe that was before he saw, was that Dr. Oz on Fox News uh, this week? Yes, who, who falsely claimed that, oh, this Lancet report says we can open the schools and only have 2 to 3 percent mortality. That is not what the Lancet report said at all. But that was what Dr. Oz was presenting on Sean Hannity's show on Fox News what? saying... Only 2 to 3% mortality. That's an acceptable risk. Which is, in this country, 2 to 3 million, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. The thing about this that I, with Texas that I fear is that employers are going to, em, to pressure their workers to go back to work too early before it mm -hmm. is actually safe for them, right. or else they will lose their They'll jobs. Be fired. And note that they're still required to teach their children at home. So you get to be in two places at once if you're a parent in Texas. You get to both go to work and stay home and homeschool school your kids. Have you talked to any of your family back in Texas? Are they being forced? Uh, I guess this, uh, this was just announced today, so who knows? Yeah, uh, who knows yet what, uh, whose employers are going to force them back yet? Not yet, at least. Right. And you're right. Uh, people will be told, okay, the governor has lifted this. Uh, this requires you to come back to work and uh, we'll have no excuses or right. you'll be fired. Um, by April 27, Abbott said it's possible he will announce the reopening of large venues like restaurants and movie theaters. Mm. The state is under a stay-at-home order that expires on April 30, but Abbott said that could be lifted when the state announces more easing of restrictions on April 27. Nationally, the U.S. saw a grim milestone this week. We uh, try to avoid uh, going into all of the numbers for a number of reasons. One, a lot of them are wrong. They're just too conservative, frankly. Um, they don't include a lot of deaths that should be included. Also, it's changing so quickly. By the time many of you hear this, uh, you know, there'll be a couple of thousand more at least uh, who have died. But uh, there was a milestone this week. A record 4,591 people were reported dead in the U.S. with COVID-19 over one single 24-hour period ending at 8 p.m. on Thursday night. 4,591 dead in 24 hours, according to Johns Hopkins University. According to the Wall Street Journal, the figure beats the previous record of 2,569 reported deaths in one 24-hour period in the U.S. So the numbers continue to go up, not down. And in Texas, they're still going up, not down. As of Friday morning, Johns Hopkins University reported that the death toll in the U.S. has reached 33,286. Those latest numbers come as President Donald Trump relentlessly pushes for an end to social distancing measures for the sake of reopening the sinking economy. Uh, that despite public health officials warning that it would uh, be premature to do so at this time. Governors on both sides of the aisle have also rejected Trump's desire to have businesses reopen. Well, not all of the governors, I guess. Don't mess with Texas. <laughs> am I right? But hey, do go ahead and mess with Minnesota and Michigan and Virginia. Apparently they have Democratic governors. 
I mean dictators, that uh, must be overthrown in order to free the people. The president of the United States, Donald Trump, posted several tweets about on Friday about the states where uh, some people, including his supporters, are protesting their governor's stay-at-home orders. Trump first tweeted just two words in all caps, LIBERATE MINNESOTA. Then another tweet, LIBERATE MICHIGAN. Again, all caps, so you know he means it. Then, LIBERATE VIRGINIA in all caps, adding, and save your great Second Amendment. It is under siege. So the President of the United States is uh, tweeting to, I mean, the country, but I guess presumably to his supporters in all caps, to liberate Minnesota, liberate Michigan, liberate these states, and by the way, save your great Second Amendment. It's under siege. So I guess bring your guns. Over the past several days, all three states have seen protests against the stay-at-home orders issued by the uh, Michigan governor, Gretchen Whitmer, uh, Minnesota's governor, Tim Waltz, and Virginia governor, Ralph Northam, all Democrats during the COVID-19 crisis. The demonstration in Michigan was led by two right-wing groups, and several protesters in attendance were seen waving pro-Trump and Confederate flags. Because, of course, the great heroes, the great patriots of our nation carrying Confederate flags to the Capitol in Michigan. After first falsely claiming on Wednesday that he had total authority to force states to force them to end their orders and reopen the economy, Trump subsequently backed down, as he does, as he always does on Thursday, when he admitted that the, that the decisions on whether to open the economy or not are indeed up to the state governors. However, he has maintained his desperate push for businesses to open shop again by May 1 in order to protect his chances of re-election this year. And Michigan, Minnesota, and Virginia all happen to be very key states in that re-election bid. So liberate them now, no matter the death toll. And yes, I said that in all caps. So you know I mean it. Journalist uh, Kim Zetter asks on Twitter today in response to the tweets from the president of the United States, does a U.S. president inciting residents in a tweet to revolt against their state officials lockdown public health order qualify as a criminal offense? Good question, Kim. But as we all know, uh, no, it does not. He could hold them. uh, He could gun them all down uh, personally. If he wanted to, as his own White House counsel and Department of Justice has has actually argued in court, he could gun them down. And if he did, he could not be investigated. He could not be arrested. He could not be charged with the crime of murder because he was doing so while sitting as a president. That is what the White House counsel and the U.S. Department of Justice has gone to court to argue and uh, somewhat successfully, by the way. Either way, with the encouragement to his followers to uh, gather in protest, protests that, by the way, could ultimately kill them, even if they're peaceful, uh, demanding the lifting of restrictions that are meant to save their lives and could kill them all and all of us in the bargain if they are lifted too soon. And virtually every expert, actual expert in the world 
says that the U.S. is nowhere near being ready to lift these stay-at-home and other physical distancing restrictions. Add to that, uh, to the, the, the extremes that Republicans are now going to, to force voters to choose between risking their lives by forcing them to to vote in person or lose their right to vote that we are now seeing. See what happened a week or so ago in Wisconsin. See the legal battle that we covered on our, our previous broadcast. Uh, now underway in Texas with the Republican attorney general actually threatening to throw people in jail if they even recommend that people seek an absentee ballot due to fear of COVID at the polling place. And we'll have more on uh, some of that in a bit. With all of that, I have uh, I've seen many folks uh, over the past, I don't know, a couple of days here now referring to Republicans, the Republican Party these days as a death cult. As, you know, Republicans, members of a death cult. Now, in one sense, that seems wildly partisan at first blush when I was first seeing this from a lot of Democrats. Uh, But really, it isn't. In fact, on on Friday at Common Dreams, there happens to be an article, uh, Desi, that you noticed after I was talking to you about this death cult Yes, we had been talking about that, and then this article popped up and said the GOP is a death cult. The the headline, (laughs) the GOP has become a death cult. Subtitle, American conservatism, the so-called culture of life, worships annihilation. Uh, and that uh, is a story. I'll link to it at bradblog.com when we post today. But it was uh, it was not written by a Democrat. It was written by Mike Lofgren, who is a longtime, a former longtime Republican congressional staff member who served on both the House and Senate uh, budget committees. And he is, uh, by the way, credited with coining the phrase deep state. So I'll, I'll link to that. Uh, so you have this Republican saying the GOP has now become a death cult. But we're, we're hearing more and more Republicans who are talking about, well, seniors, you know, they should be willing to give up their lives if that's what it takes to help the economy. Or, you know, let's let's just test reopening things by sending children back to school. It will only cost us, what, a two or three percent mortality rate. Let's risk them. Let's risk the children, I guess, and their families. And their teachers. And, of course, revolution and liberation in Minnesota. Really? But those are not the only reasons that the uh, Republican Party can, yes, fairly be described these days as a death cult. As much as I do not enjoy using that description or pointing any of this out, we reported on our uh, on our Green News report in recent weeks several stories about how the Trump administration, uh, one, is overturning or has now, I guess, overturned Obama's so-called cafe standards. That's the corporate average fuel economy standards for cars and trucks essentially lowering mileage standards uh, for vehicles while allowing them to emit more toxins into the atmosphere. Studies find that doing so will result in the deaths of thousands of Americans unnecessarily each year, and even many of the automakers don't want to roll back these standards, but... The government's own scientists have found this is going to result in the deaths of thousands. And the Trump administration, the Trump EPA, has said, yep, sounds good to us. Yeah, 
because they don't actually care about Americans. They care about the fossil fuel industry. That is only to help the fossil fuel industry. And Donald Trump has gone out uh, to his rallies, you know, consistently bragging about how we've overturned more regulations than any other administration in history. This is one of them, one of them that will result in tens of thousands of people dead each year. The cafe standards. And by the way, uh, it'll cost you more money for gas. And for your public mileage. health problems if you've got yep. asthma. Uh, on our most recent Green News report, Desi, you reported on the Trump EPA overturning the national ambient air quality standards for uh, par- particular. How do you say it? Particulate matter. Particulate matter. That's soot. In other words, tiny microscopic particles that lodge in the heart and lungs and kill people. Uh, and how many people uh, did the, uh, the Trump EPA's, EPA find? The it EPA's would kill? own scientists determined that about 50,000 people die each year because of soot, and tightening the standards would lower that considerably. But the EPA, Trump EPA, declined to do so. 50,000 American people uh, dead? What do we care about that? Even though we can do something about it, why should we care? And again, this is not, you know, some lefty Greenpeace uh, Desi Doyen and her hippie (laughs) friends out there saying this. This is Trump's own scientists saying that, uh, explaining how many people are going to die because he's rolling these things back. You also reported... Uh, a few days ago on one single coal plant that was shut down near Lexington, Kentucky, as I recall. Uh, and, and it was about a year ago. And now a study since the sh- uh, closure of that plant. Yeah, the plant had been closed over tw- by 2019. And okay. over 2019, they were able to look at the hospital admissions for asthma. And they found that hospital admissions for asthma dropped by 400 people. Over that year that that coal plant had closed. That's how fast the air cleaned up. 400 fewer people admitted to the hospital uh, for asthma. If you're one of those families, uh, if your life is going to be upended because you need to go to the hospital to deal with an asthma emergency, uh, you understand what that means. Well, there are 400 fewer people this year in Lexington, Kentucky, that have to worry about it because a coal plant shut down nearby. And some of these coal plants have indeed shut down due to regulations that were put in place in recent years that Donald Trump is on a tear to overturn. And now today, with all of that, all of that death, uh, we have this today. Uh, The Trump administration has gutted an Obama-era rule that compelled the country's coal plants to cut back emissions of mercury and other human health hazards. A move designed to limit future regulations of air pollutants from coal and oil-fired power plants. EPA Chief Andrew Wheeler, or as I like to call him, Andrew Lloyd Wheeler... (laughs) Uh, said that the rollback was reversing what he depicted as regulatory overreach, regulatory overreach by the Obama administration. He says we have put in place an honest accounting method that balances the cost, the cost to utilities with public safety. And I'll get into some of the specifics about (laughs) what he means there when he says that. Yeah, Uh, he's now he's a, a former coal lobbyist, Andrew Wheeler. Uh, His previous clients have gotten many of the regulatory rollbacks that they sought from the Trump administration. Environmental and public health groups and Democratic lawmakers uh, faulted the administration for pressing forward with a series of rollbacks, easing pollution rules for industry in the final six months of Donald Trump's current term while the coronavirus pandemic uh, rivets the world's attention. So while we're all looking at that, 
This is exactly what the EPA is doing, and it is not coming to the attention of many people, according to the Associated Press. Um, now, Desi, why is this so important to do uh, before the final six months of uh, Donald Trump's term and hopefully his presidency? Well, they're trying to prevent all of these new policy rollbacks from being reversed and put back in place easily with a simple majority of Congress. That's because of the Congressional Review Act. That was used by Republicans to undo many Obama-era regulations back in 2017. So the Congressional Review Act means that Congress can overturn any regulation or federal rule within six months of it being finalized. If Democrats win control of the House and the Senate in November, and they do keep control of the House as well, mm -hmm. then any of those rules that are com completed after late May or mm -hmm. early June would be vulnerable to being overturned. So they are on a tear And right again, now. it's a simple majority. Doesn't Can't be filibustered. Exactly. That's why they're on this tear. They right. are going to be on a tear to overturn everything they can to put in place whatever uh, friendly regulations they can for, uh, for industry. They're going to be a t on a tear to do this over the next month or two. And that's why we're seeing so many of these right now, no matter how deadly they are. Delaware Senator Tom Carper, the senior Democrat on the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, told AP that with rollbacks on air pollution protections, the EPA is all but ensuring that higher levels of harmful air pollution will make it harder for people to recover in the long run from COVID-19. Yep. The disease caused by coronavirus, uh, given the lasting harm that the illness does to victims' hearts and lungs. That Harvard study recently yep. that we reported on yep. showed that uh, long-term exposure to air pollution increases sharply the risk of dying from COVID-19. The EPA move leaves in place standards. So the standards for emissions of mercury, which damages the developing brains of children and has been linked to a series of other ailments, uh, that will stay in place. But the changes greatly reduce the health benefits that regulators can consider in crafting future rules for power plant emissions, which undermines the 2011 mercury rule and limits regulators' ability to tackle the range of soot, heavy metals, toxic gases, other hazards from fossil fuel plants. The Trump administration contends that the mercury cleanup was not, quote, appropriate and necessary, and that, unquote, and that is a legal benchmark under the country's landmark Clean Air Act. So what the Obama administration had initially projected that the industry would spend to uh, to, to to clean up uh, these to add these pollution controls, controls right, uh, was nine point six billion dollars each year to comply with the regulations. So it would cost industry nine point six billion dollars. That is a lot of money. On the other hand, society as a whole, in other words, people, would save between 37 and 90 billion from the prevention of thousands of premature deaths and lost work days. So when uh, Wheeler was talking about the balance, how we need to rebalance the cost uh, of these regulations to, uh, to public safety, this is what he's talking about. He wants to save $9.6 billion for the industry, even if it costs you and me and the taxpayers and the people anywhere from $37 to $90 billion 
in premature from the thousands of premature deaths and lost workdays. Those estimates include not just lower mercury emissions, but corresponding benefits from less pollutants that contribute to asthma and other respiratory problems. But the Trump administration has argued that it is inappropriate to count such, quote, co-benefits when considering the economic impact of regulations. And let's be realistic about what the actual economic impact was for utilities. This rule has already pretty much taken effect in reality. Power plants have already complied with Mm -hmm. this. And instead of the estimated 10 billion costs per year to do this, it actually only cost them 3 billion a year to do this. So it was way, way cheaper than the coal industry was screaming about and whining that it was going to cost them. It did not. And this whole concept of calculating co-benefits, costs and benefits. Mm -hmm. So much of the co-benefit of reducing mercury not only means that it reduces mercury in all the the fish that we eat and in every single waterway in the United States. Mm, Mercury-tainted fish. (laughs) Delicious. So not only did it reduce mercury successfully by 85% by the time the rule came into effect, so not only did it reduce mercury, it also reduced soot. And that's the one that is the most deadly. And so what the Trump EPA wants to do is permanently change how this can be calculated for all future regulations. They're not really caring so much about the mercury so much as redoing the underpinning of the legal justification. If you don't calculate all of the benefits and you only calculate the costs, mm-hmm. then you can't justify any new regulation. Right. Exactly. They, they, they think it's crazy that we should do any calculation of how much, uh, you know, death costs, hospitalization, loss to the economy from people who die and therefore can't work. You can't measure that against the real dollars that our uh, campaign funders are going to be spending. So death cult. Yeah. Seems totally fair to me, actually. The GOP is a death cult. And as you noted, Des, uh, most coal-fired uh, power plants have already made the upgrades that were required by that mercury rule. And many of those utilities were urging Trump to not go ahead with these rollbacks because they fear there's going to be expensive legal battles that are going to result. They've yeah. already built in, by the way, when we talk about the cost to the industry, they've built in the cost of these uh, regulations into what they are charging ratepayers. So yeah. ratepayers are already charging this. Everything is fine. The regulations are working. You know what they're concerned about as well. If you roll these back, how are we going to justify continuing to charge these higher prices to our customers? Yeah, it's nuts. Coal power plants in the country are the single uh, largest single man-made source of mercury pollutants, which enter the food chain through fish and other items that people consume. In 2017, Wheeler, while still a lobbyist, Uh, accompanied coal magnate Bob Murray on some of his calls to uh, to to meet with Trump cabinet members. He was pushing a list of desired rollbacks of regulations on coal, asking for major staffing cuts at the EPA and other changes at the uh, at government boards. Well, now his lobbyist is in charge of the EPA. He has no need to lobby anymore. The lobbyist is in charge. And he can just make any changes that he wants to uh, for his uh, former and I would argue current boss, Bob Murray, and the rest of the coal industry. 
Trump and his administration have granted a whole bunch of Murray's requests, including scrapping an Obama-era climate change effort that would have encouraged utilities to move to cleaner forms of energy than coal. I think that was the Clean Power uh, Act by Clean Obama. Clean Power Plan by C- Obama. Clean Power Plan. Falling and now plummeting prices for natural gas and cheaper costs for solar and wind power have made it tough for coal-fired power plants in the U.S. marketplace, leading to drops in coal production and coal energy in the country despite Trump's rescue efforts. But still, the fact that they are trying to do all of these things with their own scientists warning that it will result in tens of thousands of American lives, but they don't care... Because a few of their corporate donors, a handful, can make more money at the cost of dead Americans. And we've got folks on the ground now rallying for these things, being egged on by the president of the United States to do this. Yes, liberate Minnesota, liberate uh, against... This is just madness to, you know, overthrow lawfully elected governments in the bargain so that more of these people can be killed thanks to Donald Trump and the Republicans all in the middle of an unprecedented deadly pandemic. Yes, I would say the Republican Party is now officially a death cult. So what do we do about it? Well, Real American patriots uh, actually head to the ballot box for change. So, yes, Republicans are still trying to keep that from happening any way that they possibly can. Let's take a quick break and we will come back with uh, a few election stories right after this. I'm Brad Friedman and you are listening to the broadcast. Stay safe out there. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Keep on shining. Oh, yeah. Keep on shining. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, Kentucky's heavily Republican legislature voted this week to require, to require voters to show a government-issued photo ID... Uh, According to Ian Milheiser, overriding Democratic Governor Andy Beshear's veto in the process. Meanwhile, if a Kentucky voter heads to the state's webpage hoping to learn how to obtain such an ID, they will encounter a message telling them, guess what? ID issuing offices are closed. Good luck, suckers. So uh, they've been trying for years to pass this photo ID restriction in Kentucky, and they finally did. Luckily, there's a Democratic governor now in Kentucky who uh, said, nope, not going to sign it, vetoed it. 
But there are enough Republicans in the state legislature still in Kentucky that they were able to override that veto and uh, put this in place, even though there is no place to get an ID right now. If you go to the uh, to the state, I think it's ky.gov. If you go to the state website right at the top, it says important announcement from the transportation cabinet following the guidance of Governor Bashir to limit in-person services. The one stop shop in Frankfurt and all statewide license issuance locations, including real ID offices, will be closed to the public until further notice. We apologize for any inconvenience and appreciate your understanding and good luck voting this year, suckers. All right, it didn't say that last part. <laughs> but all of the other stuff, it did say, yes. And the Republicans in the Le- Kentucky State Legislature knew that. Strict photo ID voting restriction laws are increasingly common in Republican-controlled states and uh, left-leaning groups like students and low-income voters and voters of color and elderly voters are especially less likely to have the very specific type of ID that these laws now require to vote. Remember, all 50 states, according to the Help America Vote Act, already require all voters to show some form of of an ID when they register to vote. And if they don't register in person, for example, at the the county clerk's office, then their name is flagged, and when they come in to vote for the first time, they will have to show some form of ID. But it's the very specific types of IDs that Republicans know many Americans don't have, 20 to 30 million Americans don't have, that are required under these Republican laws. Although voter IDs, policy proponents often argue that the measure is necessary to combat voter fraud at the polls, such fraud is so rare that it is virtually non-existent at the polling place. While photo ID laws at best are a solution in search of a problem, Kentucky's new law could prove to be a particularly potent attack on the right to vote during a pandemic. Well, sure, you can't get an ID. So if you don't have one by now, a study by Loyola Law School professor Justin Levitt has been a guest on this program. Uh, He led much of the Justice Department's voting rights work during the Obama administration. In a years-long study, he found only 35, 35 credible allegations of in-person voter fraud among the 834 million ballots that were cast from 2000 to 2014. I'm sorry, what was that again? Say that one more time. Which part? He only found 35 35. out of 834 million million ballots cast over 14 years. Uh, A Wisconsin study found just seven cases of any kind of fraud among the three million votes that were cast in the 2004 election in that state. And yet, because of a right wing uh, appeals court, folks in Wisconsin who, who, who his decision is totally wrong, completely wrong from this uh, appeals court. The judge who said that you have to have an ID to fly on a plane to do all of these things. All not true. All not true. 
So anyway, in Wisconsin, they found just seven cases of any kind of fraud among three million uh, votes cast in the 2004 election. None of those seven were the kind that would be prevented by photo ID restrictions. In 2014, Iowa's Republican Secretary of State Matt Schultz announced the results of his two-year investigation into election misconduct within the state, hoping, praying he would find evidence to support the call for photo ID restrictions. Well, Matt Schultz found... Guess how many cases he found of, uh, of, of voter impersonation at the polls? 11 billion? No, as it turns out, just zero. Oh, wow. Yeah, zero, zero cases of voter impersonation at the polls. The Republican Secretary of State. At best, uh, writes Milheiser, photo ID achieves nothing at all in ordinary elections while, uh, uh, as far as fraud goes while erecting an additional barrier to people exercising their right to vote. A barrier that, yes, disproportionately affects low income and black and Latino Americans, and that is why Republicans want these laws. Under normal circumstances, photo ID restrictions could potentially, yes, make a difference in close elections. But it's far from clear that November's general election is going to be anything like resembling normal, frankly. True. And, and you know, these kinds of narrowly targeted photo ID restrictions, like in Texas, for example, your gun license you can use to vote, but you can't use your state-issued university ID. Your student ID, yep. Late last month... Governor Bashir, again, a Democrat, handed down an executive order providing that, quote, all businesses that are not life sustaining shall cease operations except as needed to conduct minimum basic operations. Among other things, the order suspends, quote, all in-person government activities that are not necessary to uh, sustain or protect life. So. Uh, Kentucky voters who lack an ID, perhaps because they recently moved to the state, they didn't get around to obtaining a Kentucky driver's license before the coronavirus lockdown began. Well, they're out of luck. They may not be able to obtain an ID at all in time to vote this year because the state offices that issue them are closed. Bashir expressed his incredulity uh, during his daily coronavirus press briefing, saying, I think this is a decision being made in a world like we don't have an international health pandemic. He says, I don't know how somebody gets an ID during the coronavirus where every place you'd get it is closed. He said, can't they at least wait until next session when we're not facing this? They can do it next year. They'll have the numbers to override any veto, he, he said, of the uh, state Republicans. Well, no, they can't do it next year. That would defeat the whole purpose. The law requiring every voter to present photo ID when voting was uh, gleefully signed by the Secretary of State. Yes, the chief election official in the state of uh, Kentucky, Secretary of State Michael Adams, a Republican. Uh, He ran on getting such a law passed during the 2019 campaign. He noted that the secretary of state signs laws that are enacted over the governor's veto. So the governor doesn't sign it. The secretary of state does in this case. And he took to Twitter to say after nearly two years campaigning around Kentucky for a photo ID to vote law and five months helping to draft and negotiate one. Tonight, I had the honor to sign it. The secretary of state signs veto overrides. Amazing what a constitutional officer can achieve when he treats the legislature with respect. Yes, it would have been very difficult to get that passed with a Republican legislature (laughs) in Kentucky unless he treated them with respect.
Uh, it's also uh, the law in Kentucky is uh, also similar to Wisconsin's law because it requires voters to show ID in order to obtain an absentee ballot. So uh, voters without ID cannot escape the law by voting by mail, as is the case in many states, most of the states that have implemented these. But no, not in Kentucky. And you'll recall the problem that uh, Wisconsin voters had, especially elderly voters who are entitled to ask for an absentee ballot in Wisconsin. But they have to somehow scan and upload a copy of their ID in order to get one. And a lot of the elderly voters had trouble doing that, had trouble uploading their, their ID. So, uh, yeah, good luck, you old people in Kentucky. That's how much the Republicans care about you. It's a death cult. Have I mentioned that? Although the law allows a voter to cast a ballot without showing photo ID if they were prevented from getting an ID due to, quote, disability or illness... Statute is unclear on whether the voter must themselves be infected by this illness in order to qualify. And voters who misuse the exemption could potentially face perjury charges. So what uh, Ian is uh, suggesting here is that, well, you can uh, cast a vote without an ID due to disability or illness, but it doesn't have to be your illness, right? It could be someone else's. It could be everybody getting sick because of covid Well, maybe, maybe not. That much is not clear. And um, they happen to have a Republican attorney general in uh, in Kentucky. And if we could take any hint from what happened in Texas this week, uh, we discussed on our previous show, Texas went to court to keep voters from being able to cite fear of the coronavirus as a, quote, disability or physical condition that would allow them uh, to ask for an absentee ballot because it would prevent them from going to the polls. Um, but a Texas district judge, district court judge, thankfully ruled this week that all Texas voters may, in fact, cite concern about COVID-19 as a legally justifiable reason for requesting an absentee ballot. Now, I hope that I don't get criminally charged uh, by the state of Texas for (laughs) saying that. And I wish that was a joke, but we uh, read on our previous show the letter from the Texas Attorney General's office threatening third parties who recommend that option to voters with criminal charges, criminal liability. That was the day before the district court judge's ruling came down. Uh, But that ruling will almost certainly now be appealed up to the Texas State Supreme Court if necessary. And by the way, I did not know this. Texas Supreme Court uh, has nine justices on it, eight justices and one chief justice. All of them, every single one of them is Republican. Yeah. So good luck with that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, This is not good. Uh, But voter suppression and death seem now to be the only values left for the Republican Party. I've been saying that voter suppression is the only value left. I'm, I was wrong. I apologize. I want to apologize to Republicans. They have a second value they care about. That is death. The pro-life party is clearly the pro-death party. Kentucky's primaries uh, this year were postponed due to uh, COVID from May 19 to June 23. But I believe this law in Kentucky will not be in effect during the June primary. 
But it will be in effect for the November elections unless it's challenged in court somehow. Uh, But I'm sure that all of the state I.D. offices will be open well before November 3rd. And it'll be totally safe and it'll be totally easy to go stand in line at the DMV for a photo I.D. so that people can vote in Kentucky. Right. It's worth noting that November election when uh, I said that it defeats the purpose if they push it off till next year. um, There uh, is a very uh, high profile race on Kentucky's ballot this year. One Senate majority leader by the name of Mitch McConnell is up for re-election. Oh, yeah. This uh, this November. And there is some evidence that McConnell could actually be defeated in uh, 2020. Um, if it's a strong year for Democrats, and I see no reason that it won't be a very strong year for Democrats unless Republicans are able to keep them from showing up at the polls. In January, one poll, for example, showed that McConnell is just three percentage points ahead of his possible Democratic challenger, Amy McGrath. Another poll showed that McConnell and McGrath are tied. So this is very serious, and it could, you know, if it peels off a few thousand votes, a few 10,000 votes here or there, that could make the difference between whether Mitch McConnell is reelected to the U.S. Senate this November. And that's kind of a big deal. Kind of. So there are good reasons to believe that uh, such a law could have a uh, an even larger effect, of course, during a pandemic. And that is, you know, like like Ian says, normal times it would peel off a few votes. Now it could peel off a lot more votes uh, because people can't get IDs. Whether that's going to be enough to uh, skew a close election between McGrath and McConnell, we don't know. But at the very least, many voters will struggle to cast a ballot if they are unable to obtain the IDs that they need to vote now in uh, Kentucky. And that is just what the democracy-hating Republicans in Kentucky are, in fact, hoping for. Yeah, and it's going to be happening in in every state that is controlled in any way by Republicans. These are the battle lines right now for the 2020 elections. Democrats want more people to vote, to be able to vote easily and safely. Republicans want to make it harder for people to vote, even if it means forcing them to risk their lives in the bargain, because anything to win, no matter the cost, for the now humorously so-called pro-life party quick break and we are back with uh, a few more minutes on the broadcast it's this week just keeps going gets incredibler and credibler uh all right we're back with uh, something or other i'm brad friedman and this is your broadcast <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide No escape from reality Tell me about it Open your eyes Look up to the skies and see <laughs> I'm just Welcome back 
It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. How long is that song, Desi Doyen? Five and a half minutes. Boy, I would just love to play that whole song. DJ's uh, favorite. Just, uh, who's favorite? A DJ's favorite. A DJ's favorite. Do you want to explain why that's a DJ's favorite? <laughs> it gives you time to have a nice long bathroom break. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> There we go. All right. Well, anyway, welcome back to the Bradcast. Uh, yeah, this um, I've got uh, I've got some more uh, voting stories. I'm going to have to wait till our, our next uh, program. But I suspect we'll be talking a lot more. The, uh, the cases are now coming really quick, really fast with all kinds of challenges all over the country in in courts. For all sorts of things, uh, even more that I saw an estimate today from a, a legal election legal expert who said they expect there to be twice as many as usual, twice as many such cases as usual. Oh, hell yeah. Republicans are going to be working very, very hard to come up with new insidious and very creative ways to stop people from voting. It's what they do. They have to. This is their last chance. Yep. Hopefully. Hopefully it's well, the yes, last chance. You know I mean. We will see. And, of course, that was going to be a crazy election year anyway. Now we add a pandemic to it. Which brings me to this uh, tweet thread uh, posted a few days ago by uh, Sarah Polly, a former actor and filmmaker. Uh, but I kind of think it's, it's, it's appropriate uh, today after yet another bat crap insane week in the U.S. of A. She writes, this is the worst movie I have ever seen. <laughs> Unsurprising that this movie doesn't work. The screenplay was a dog's breakfast. <laughs> so much heavy-handed foreshadowing, the apocalyptic footage from Wuhan, the supervillain American president, the whistleblower dying, the Russia-China border closed while people still claimed it was just a flu, the warnings unheeded, insulting to the audience's intelligence. Kind of is. And then that most annoying of horror disaster movie tropes, the hapless idiots walking into disaster after disaster, all of which the audience can see coming from a mile away. The over the top details of world leaders and their wives falling ill. The far-fetched idea that industrialized countries wouldn't have proper protective gear for frontline workers and ventilators. Please. This movie needs a script doctor. <laughs> sure does. This movie even tries to cram in a political agenda, an on-the-nose critique of what capitalism looks like at its worst. States competing for ventilators, the rich sheltering in lovely places while the poor are trapped or still at work in unsafe environments. Yeah, Ivanka and uh, uh, what's her husband? Jared uh, yeah. took the kids to to the, to the country, country club. House. Yeah, oh, for yeah. Passover. While oh, yeah. she was telling people, everybody, thank you for staying in place. It's really important. She went to Mar-a-Lago. <sighs> yeah, Polly goes on to write, and the dystopian angle of this movie, the elderly have become so disposable that young people still get together and party. No matter how bad the world is, no one could believe we could ever get to that point in this country, in this movie. I don't know who approved this script. I don't know who thought it was in shape to be released. People are just desperate for content, I guess. <laughs> I don't often say this, she writes, or believe it, but this movie really needs to choose its genre. Is it a horror movie? Political? Disaster? Screwball comedy? It's just trying to do too many things at the same time. 
I also think it was a strange choice for this movie to not focus on the only potentially interesting main protagonist, that bat in China. (laughs) Every other character is totally passive. The way they are marketing this movie is even more laughable, though perhaps the closest thing to the truth, quote, at its heart, this movie is a love story. (laughs) From uh, Real Sarah Polly on Twitter this week, a a, a former actor and a filmmaker. Uh, Brian Lofman replied. uh, There was some great replies to this thread. I'll, uh, I'll link to it. Some great replies. Brian Lofman says, the guy playing the part of the president is completely unbelievable in the role. It's as if the actor is making up his own lines on the fly. I understand he only got the role because of influential friends. Uh, Brenda VDB said, yeah, nobody could be that dumb. Hopeless actor can't even remember his lines or what he said in the previous scene. What we have to do these days to entertain ourselves. (laughs) I know. And what did she say about it being? You can't decide what kind of what, what kind, kind of genre movie this is. A yeah. screwball horror, comedy, a horror, yeah. or a disaster. Yeah, it's kind of all of them all wrapped up into one. And they all suck. Let me just go on record. They <laughs> all suck. She's absolutely right. Worst movie I've ever seen. When will this movie end? I thought they had closed movie theaters. Why are we stuck watching this crap endlessly now for three and a half years? It's also overly long, by the way. This movie way too long. <laughs> Please let it be over soon. Well, it might not be over soon, but the broadcast is over right now. I'm calling it. We're getting out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. My thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. Like, what else were you going to do? If you're stuck inside, uh, of course, that doesn't uh, our listeners in Minnesota, I know, are out uh, uh, overthrowing the government right now. All their friends out there protesting yes. without masks, without practicing social distancing with their Confederate flags exactly. and their guns out there. Give me liberty and give me death. AM 950 listeners are are uh, are revolting in, uh, in Minnesota. <laughs> WPRR uh, listeners are revolting in Michigan. Y'all are so revolting. We'll see you soon. Anyway, uh, if you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can drop us a, uh, or you can you can download it anytime. <laughs> you can download it anytime at bradblog.com. That is made possible uh, by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. And I want to put an extra thanks out there, by the way, to those people who have been able to donate lately. Uh, because we've had a lot of folks who have had to cancel their uh, monthly subscriptions uh, in recent days. Totally I do understandable. Not, yeah, I do not blame them. I thank you for uh, supporting us for as long as you did right now. These are very tough times. Uh, so those folks who can sign up for uh, new subscriptions right now or make a one-time donation, it is greatly appreciated at bradblog.com donate. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com, and you can find me usually snarking out on the Twitters and the Facebooks at The Brad Blog. That's it, right? That's it. Stay home. Stay safe. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.